1: Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. He is a friend of the show, covers the Pacers. I'm serious, like nobody's business. Forbes Sports, WTHR, Locked On Pacers, so much more, and uh, had an, an agreement with me last night, which was a few and far between, on the social media platform X. Tony East joins us. Hey, thanks for having my back for a moment. If you saw, I was w- waging battle, as you could tell when you jumped in there last night.
0: You. I get that when a team loses three games in a row, fans are upset. But I mean, when they give up 114 to the defending champs, they 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 should win that game. Their offense was the problem to me, but it did not seem like people agreed with us. JMB, the, the offense is the problem as
1: a whole right now. It just is because, as I pointed out, they haven't won a game. Uh, in, in which they've scored under one ten, they average one twenty five and it is dropping right now. It can't afford to drop anymore. their defense is better, but it is their sputtering offense, especially most of the time without halliburton. I think that's showing up more in the stat sheet
0: I agree and and we like we knew that would happen right but the part the the tweet that's made this interesting is you know since they had that practice like a month ago right before that hornets game where they put all this focus into defense. They've changed their starting lineup two games later. They've been seventh on offense since then, this as of a couple of days ago, and like league average on defense, which has made them better on the whole. But then when you lose Tyrese Halbert and you're no longer an elite offensive team, sure, that, that mediocre defense can be good, but they needed to be really good on offense, and they haven't been, right? I thought they could be a little better, and I guess they have. Like They had 126 in Sacramento, but... 115 in Portland, 110 in Phoenix, 109 against Denver, 105 in Utah, 109 in Denver last week. Like, without Hal Burton, they have just not been able to score. And I think the biggest number that stands out to me, and I talked about this yesterday, is their three-pointers, getting them up, not even making them. They were terrible at making them last night, but they only took 21, right? The one game Hal Burton has played since that Celtics game, right? They win that Celtics game. They took 43s that game. They took 47 in Portland. Tyrese Halberton played. All the rest of their games, their highest total is 33, right? He helps them so much get good attempts and make good attempts that last night against the Nuggets, they win if they can make some threes or generate some good ones, but they can't. That's when the biggest thing they lose without their star, and they've been really struggling on the offensive end.
1: Ah, Shout-out to your genius, Tony East, on the Andy Moore Automotive (laughs) Group hotline. Damon Dobbs, shout-out to him, too. When the Pacers score in in the 100s, right, they're 0-8. Uh, over 110, 1 of 5, 10 and 5 over 120, 5 and 2 over 130, uh, 5 and 0 in the 140s, 3 and 0 in the 150s. So, I, listen, I, I'm not good at math, but even in my little tiny brain, I can do the math on what they're really missing right now.
0: Yes, yes. And, and I get that they're not going to be as good on offense without it. <laughs> no one expected that, but I thought they could get to, like, one fifteen. You know, they got to one fifteen in Portland. If they scored that last night, they win, right? They've had yeah. a couple games like that without Halbert in the season. And again, I don't think anyone expects them to beat Denver or Phoenix without Tyrese Halbert, but they've played good enough defense in those games to give themselves a chance and they have not been able to score, which given the entire resume of this team all season, has been a little surprising to me and I think you as well.
1: Hey, let's just face it too. when when Murray And Jokic are going like that. They put you in a two-man, as clearly they were doing. They really got focused in doing that after that lengthy review that was costly in a variety of ways. But when they put you in that two-man, it's probably most of the time for anybody in the NBA going to be your ass. And this is what I felt, that if you want to get on Miles, for example— the missed threes, and especially those late opportunities and the one wide open, straight on without Halliburton, those are shots, knee Smith as well, that you have to have to make up the difference. And that's where I find fault, certainly a lot more than defense.
0: 100%, right? And they, they did well to, to create those shots, but they couldn't make them, right? They could not make them at all. And, you know, that hurts. Only making five threes is really painful in a game like that. They, they had no chance of keeping up with that ability to shoot the ball in a game like that. And uh, the the Miles Turner ones were really, like the airmail one he had, with yep. I think were tied with about two minutes to go. That one really hurt because you nailed it. Like they got the lead and then that review was so long. It sucked the air out of the building completely. So, you know, to see it come to that, where they had a chance to get the building back into it, take a three-point lead, have the momentum again, their lineup was actually defending kind of well at the time was, I think really poor for them and poor for, you know, the whole chance of keeping up.
1: This this is not at all, in your estimation, a telltale sign about is it acclimating to Siakam is is the Siakam role on this team now? Does this have anything to do you think with the short sighted scoring? And I know that Halliburton is the overriding factor here, but is is Siakam trying to to become more invested in this team? Is that playing a role in this too?
0: I think so. Like everybody has to, you know, obviously his role is different than he's ever played in his life on. Um, in, in different situations, you know, in Toronto. But um, he, he, not only does he have to figure out where his shots are coming from, how like he's already – he talked today at practice about the pace difference, learning a lot about that. But everybody else now also is learning like, okay, Pascal Siakam's on my team. Like what is that different for me? You know, last, last night in the third quarter especially, I thought like they, they were not finding him enough. Like I don't think he took a shot the entire third quarter of that game. I'd have to double check that to be to be sure. But if he did, it was only one or two, and I don't remember them. You know, I, that's an adjustment for kind of everybody. And I I here's the, I'm kind of torn on that because on one hand I understand what that adjustment could be, right? Like Miles Turner and Rick Carlisle have both said, yeah, that takes a couple games, maybe you know a week or so. But on the other hand, it's like this guy's really good. <laughs> you know, you've already seen that. If he gets a small on him in the post, he could just score right over him. He can score from basically anywhere on the floor. Like, his 16 points without knowing their system has been so effortless, right? Like, that's all fantastic. So he's so good that I'm almost like, well, I get that it, it's an adjustment for everybody, but almost like just just try to get him involved and it'll work itself out. He's that kind of level of player. So I, I think they've got to find ways to, to generate more threes without Tyrese. Two more games against good opponents without him. Like, they've got to find a way. They have good shooters. To to get take them and make them and they've got to figure out exactly how they can use Pascal Siakam the best. I think today's practice will help a lot in that way, but they've got to maintain some of the defensive stuff they've been doing too. For the,
1: for the love that is all holy, uh, for the sake of me, uh, don't tell me that Embiid's going to go back to back seventy spots here. Don't do it. <laughs> mm. I don't want to hear it. Oh, hey, how's, uh, how's Jalen Smith's back? By the way, do we know?
0: Uh, Rick did not have an up- Rick Carlisle did not have an update for us today. Oh.
1: Um is that not something you just like rub some absorbing junior on and get your butt out there?
0: <laughs> well, it was weird because he came out of the tunnel late last night, but he I saw him during warm up, so I didn't even realize that it was something bothering him. So, I'm not exactly sure if it's going to be something super lengthy. They haven't put on injury report yet, but you know, back like I think he was dealing with this a back injury earlier in the season too, like sometimes that can just never go away and and it can be an issue, but I truly have no idea at
1: this time. Rick, Rick it's uh, Tony East joins us. His uh, new podcast, by the way, Locked on Pacers, uh, has been placed up there on his uh, X account. Uh, it is fresh <laughs> as of about 45 minutes ago. I invite you, uh, certainly after this show, to check that out immediately to see what he has to say. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I thought about this last night, too, and then I wondered if that had anything to do with the situations that Phoenix put Buddy in on Sunday where he got over and over again roasted by some yeah. good offensive players. Did that play a role as to why we didn't see him in the game late when this team was struggling with its shot-making ability?
0: Yeah, maybe so. You know, uh, I thought it was really interesting that Lloyd Pierce at the helm, right, for that whole fourth quarter and, you know, Buddy was having a rough night, one for three from the field. and uh, He had played, he only played 22 minutes, but he wasn't having the greatest night. Mather wasn't having the greatest night, so – they start the fourth quarter with Ben Shepard in the game. And uh, as we saw on the road trip, he's just energy, energy, energy. Like that hustle play he made diving for two different steals in one play it was crazy. But I, I, I thought during the quarter, I actually said this to someone on Media Row, like, there's a chance to me that right now the Pacers' best defensive lineup, and obviously if Halliburton plays, he'll be in there, and it's not the case. But their best defensive lineup has Ben Shepard in it right now, right? Like it, it could be Nemhard, Shepard, Neesmith siakam turner and you could quibble with some of the guys in there but i think that they needed defense right they were down 10 13 points early in that fourth quarter and that shepherd and the co-guided them all the way back they took the lead on a Shepard three-pointer in the corner right so i think that buddy's minutes and not playing when they needed some shot making was ben shepherd was better than him last night and that's no knock on buddy who was really good in phoenix and can be shot really well in portland and can be good for this team and it's a good fit with siakam but Ben Shepard was better. He might be one of their better defenders right now. He was a plus seven, and he made a big play to get the Pacers the ball, and they had to lead, and then the foul was overturned. But he played a really good game. He earned those minutes, and I think that's mostly why Buddy wasn't out there and didn't have a chance to shoot it.
1: Um, Why Toppin and no Walker last night? What was the difference there? I know he got, by the way, so, assigned to the Mad Ants who played at at 6 o'clock, so he will participate and get some run. Yeah. But why no Walker last night?
0: Yeah, it's hard to fit him in as they get healthier, right? They had everybody but – Hal Burton and then as we found out Smith and so I think the guy you'd play him over is Obi Toppin like you said but I don't think Toppin's done anything t- to lose his minutes even though Jairus Walker's played well enough to sneak sneak up there and maybe you say you play him instead so I just I don't know who you would pull out for him unless it's you know whoever's just playing awful in a particular game but you can't figure that out till a game starts they still just have you know a, a crowded front court and they're gonna play on the. you got to earn the minutes merit and I think over the course of the season, Toppins done more to earn that spot, even if Walker's end of road trip was was fantastic. And we'll talk on February 9th about if the is still the same, what that means for Jarris and his minutes. But right now, uh, he, he's probably on the outside looking in most nights. I, it, front it, court
1: injury. Hey, Tony, what's your expectation about how that's going to look after the trade deadline?
0: Yeah, I don't know that they need to do anything, right? Like, Buddy Heald's value to them is now higher than it was before they made the Siakam trade, both because of, what his salary means to them uh, as they're over the cap now and as a shooter in general on a team that you know added a player who's a fantastic talent but isn't the best shooter, but he's still extension eligible, so that might get sorted out. But he and Topham are the two expiring contracts that, you know, that's what I'm thinking about now if I'm the Pacers. Like, I feel pretty good about, you know, one, three, four, and five in my starting lineup. I've got a lot of young depth that's kind of ascending and figuring it out. Is Buddy Heald my long-term, too? And is Obi Toppin a long-term player for my team? That's the kind of stuff I think the Pacers have to answer in the next, you know, what is it, two weeks now, which is unbelievable to say. Um, and so those are the two names that I would be watching, which is why I said what I said about February 9th. But, I'm, you know, they have Obi Toppin with restricted rights. It's not like he can just leave in free agency. But, you know, with Jarris Walker still on the team and, you know, who knows what their, their summer plans are, those are the names I would at least – be watching, even though I don't necessarily think they have to trade either of them. Owee Tobin's been good this year and yield has value to them. They just have a lot of young guys who are, you know, right there ready for minutes and have played well this year and given opportunities. So Halliburton was practicing today? He was getting, when we got in there, he was getting up threes and moving around pretty well. And like, that's what he was doing on their road trip too, right? When he came back in that Portland game, but you know, with hamstrings, uh, you know, you just, as Carlisle said, you can't piss them off and, uh, they can really linger for a long time and, uh, he's he's not playing tomorrow. He's not playing Friday. We'll see about Sunday when they play the Grizzlies. But um, yeah, he did. He, he was at least moving and shooting when we got in there and and looked looked fine to me. But again, you you just you got to be careful with those, especially after as he said, you know they they didn't like the response that his hamstring had to that Portland game. You could see him grimacing in that game. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he was grimacing at that. Like I don't want to say that on his behalf, but I'm assuming <laughs> that's the case, right? So if that is the case, then you know. Being careful with, yeah, he wants to make the NBA and play enough games, but you've got to be careful long term with Halberton, and you've got to be able to make him play for the stretch run. So, it, uh, it, caution, caution is the move.
1: If if that indeed what they said about the whole further injury management is true. You look back, and the fact that he went 34 minutes o'clock on yeah. Friday, yeah. I, I mean, it, to me that speaks more of a retweak than it does, well, wait a minute, we didn't like the way he responded after 34 minutes, uh, and <laughs> now we're going to shut him down again.
0: I would almost call those the same thing, you know what I mean? Like, the way it responded could be like, oh, it's it's worse than it was the day before, which would be a tweak of some kind. And that game was interesting because, of course, it's was the debut. They really wanted to win. And Adrian Emhart was out, right? So they didn't have, like, point guard depth, and McConnell didn't have a good game. In fact, the whole bench was terrible in that game, like, the, by far the worst Pacers bench game of the season. So they, they had to play him a pretty good amount. Him and McConnell filled up all 48 minutes at point guard. But if TJ was a little better, maybe his minutes could have been down. If Nemhard was available, perhaps they could have kept his minutes down. But, like, that's all they had. That's all they had for that game. And uh, maybe Isaiah Wong could have played at some one, but given what they were facing and they really wanted to win it, they didn't do it. And I would agree that 35 minutes is a lot coming back, you know, what is perceived as early, given the timeline we originally heard, from an injury. If he can do it, he can do it, and he played well, but uh, it certainly seems like now that it was maybe a little premature, but I don't want to. I don't want to speak for him. That's just obviously what it seems like right now.
1: Yes, Tony East covers the Pacers. Locked on Pacers podcast. His latest, fresh as of under an hour ago, is available again at Tony R East. You can follow him on the social media platform known as X. All right, follow <laughs> me on this. The, the final defensive possession. This is how I described it. And the only thing that I didn't really know what was happening. I thought initially that that Miles and Smith were doubling on Murray to get the ball out of his hands. But when you go back and look, it almost looked like that it was um, a, a switch that Neesmith didn't switch and Miles did. But I'll go with doubling the ball out of Murray's hands. And then you see when Miles vacated, you see Ben Shepard sliding over, going halfway hard to Jokic at the top of the key, and then retreating back to Caldwell-Pope while Miles was fully momentum going to Caldwell-Pope across the lane, and then obviously there was that mix up there. Is that how you saw that last night? Because a lot of people said, oh, you know, that's Miles falling asleep. I don't think Miles fell asleep. I just think that there was some miscommunication about what the hell was going on. Even if you're talking about a former MVP in this case, but Miles felt that Shepard was going when Shepard was halfway there, and when he retreated, it was too late.
0: Oh, I don't, I, no way! This is Miles falling asleep. I mean, he goes towards the sideline, right? When you fall asleep, you go you'd go towards the ball. But he didn't go towards the, Keep the ball. Keep in mind, I,
1: I'm also followed by a lot of dumbasses that know nothing about basketball. <laughs> so remember that. But go ahead. So
0: I think clearly by the way he moved, they were trying to trap Murray and get it out of his hands. And, and Jamal Murray, 31 points in the game, he was getting to the rim. Like the Nuggets weren't shooting well, obviously until this three. Um, so preventing the rim, don't let him drive. I think that makes sense. But I think you're right that Miles was trying to recover to Jokic and Shepard had started to already. So Miles starts to drift over towards KCP and maybe the rotation is supposed to be that Tiakum comes up and Turner goes down to the block where Aaron Gordon is or whatever. But I think because Shepard was already stunning towards Jokic, Turner thought he was supposed to go across the other side. And I get why in that split second where Shepard's still facing him and Jokic catches and looks towards Aaron Gordon, that Miles Turner doesn't think to run towards the shooter and just for a brief moment he gets space, and it's still kind of well contested. So I think that it was just a split second where two guys thought that they were doing the same thing and neither of them was actually doing it. And when you're playing against uh, a former MVP who can make any shot, I mean, that was the most casual game winner I've ever seen, I think. Yeah. He didn't even jump, but he just walked away like it was nothing. I, it's, that's all that takes, that little second to to get beat by Jokic, and that's what happens.
1: I, I thought this, and Tony East joins us too, when and – and I still – the fact that they overturned that call, that that was before Ben Shepard grabbed or grasped it was a moving screen. And I know, I know what these guys well, do. I mean, they, they act like they set a screen and roll and look for the ball when they're really setting a screen and not really looking to get the pass. They're just looking to get space for the guy with the ball. That's what happened, and that call to me should have been
0: upheld. So – I think it should have been upheld, but now for the same reason as you, funnily enough. I think that, uh, like, even Miles Turner does this. Everybody does this. Like, they set a screen, and then they pretend like they're cutting at the same time as the guy trying to get under them goes behind them, right? So, it just looks like a cut. It's not really a moving screen. Like, if they called that, every center would foul every single game, right? So, I don't even necessarily think it was a moving screen. I just think he flopped his butt off. Like, the he, the hug came, and then his arms went up after the hug came. I thought that was super, super weird, the sequence of events. And I'm not going to pretend like, you know, he didn't get hit. He did. But why did his arms go up after getting hooked like that? I thought that was the weird part. So, I think Shepard probably initiated contact first. I think you could have called that a moving screen. Uh, in general, though, I, I just, it was a super weird play. And the reason it killed the Pacers was neither of those things. The reason it killed the Pacers is that to review it took them – Longer than we've been talking right now. Yes. (laughs) No more energy left in the building.
1: And and the rest of the way, it seemed like you got a heavy dose, as you would expect, of nothing but the two-man game between Murray and Jokic. And I'm assuming they would do that anyway. But the fact that you had so much time to go ahead, if you're Mike Malone, and figure all that out, that's the direction they went. And uh, that was the turning point by far. I just felt that when, when Jokic like rolled or flopped or whatever you said, that contact to me, was an illegal screen before you get the contact from Shepard. So I don't know how you end up reversing that.
0: Yeah, I, I was a little surprised they reversed it. I get it, I guess. But, you know, it was just so – I think he hugged him because he didn't expect him to be moving, right? So there's a lot of of complicating factors. And, again, the Nuggets get the extra chance. He'll get you the three. Pacers never lead again, right? So – A huge call at an important time that just totally deflated the Pacers' chances. All
1: right, uh, Tony East joins us. Before I let you go, Rick Carlisle tossed in the third quarter. Was a lot of that (laughs) about coming to the defense and hello, new player, I got your back as the head coach. Was there a Uh, little bit of that there?
0: Smart messaging to do that, uh, if that is the case. His exact quote was, I didn't like what I was seeing out there at all, not one bit. Uh, And I don't necessarily think that was about the (laughs) – play of his team they were winning (laughs) they were winning when he got tossed right but the play before i think he tried to call a timeout that maybe didn't get registered, and then the play before siakam got got smoked on a layup and and did not he didn't make it nothing was called the nuggets immediately scored on the other end he was hot like like as the nuggets were coming down the floor right yeah the basers were ahead and then Jokic hit a three and then he got tossed right so i think he was just like his team wasn't playing well some non-calls, just everything stacking up. I mean, he was just irate at that. And, yeah, come to bat for your new guy. Show him you got his back. Yakum's already spoken highly of Carlisle last night. So, I think that was a smart move, even though – it was certainly, you know, that that point could have mattered in a close game, uh, the Tech free throws, but it, it sent a good signal, and the Pacers did end up coming back. All
1: right, I'm, I'm really going to try really hard not to get nauseous talking about tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, but uh, <laughs> last time we saw Joel Embiid, he put a 70 spot up and, and could have probably gone for 80 or 85 if he truly wanted to in, uh, in a game against San Antonio. 36 over per game is his average right now. Um, I don't know who made their schedule up after this long road trip, but that's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it's it's been brutal. You know, it's funny that they did so well early in this month. Funny is not the right word. But it's important that they did because, like, this is what I was talking about when they were on that big winning streak at the end of December. Like, they need these wins because their January so hard. So, sneaking those wins against Milwaukee and Boston is so big because of this stretch, right? They had the road trip and then coming home for three tough teams, and it could have been four before Memphis fell apart. So, they need to beat Memphis. They really need to steal one of these, I think, and now they've made this trade, and their schedule really eases up after, let's say, February 1st or 2nd.
1: Oh, good. Good deal <laughs> right there. And then do you, um, you have a any time? you think Halliburton returns on Sunday if you were a, a betting or a guessing man right now?
0: I mean, here's what I'll, I'll use conjecture to predict. He talked in the offseason about getting psyched for that Boston game next Tuesday because it's on TNT and it was the Pacers only scheduled national TV game. Maybe his feeling on that has changed because they were on TNT and ESPN for the in-season tournament. But uh, he was, I think he's excited for that game in particular. So maybe playing a, a winnable home game with Siakam would be something he'd be interested in before that. Maybe he wants to take it easy heading into that, but with all NBA at stake with that, uh, with that opportunity in front of him, I think, I think he'll try, but, we saw what happened last time. They rushed him back. Uh, if they rushed him back, did it? So uh, we'll see. If I was guessing, I would guess that yes, but that is a guess. That is a guess, certainly.
1: I didn't, I'm expecting Embiid to play tomorrow night. Any other pacer injuries that I'm aware of? <laughs> so yeah, I'm so used to I'm so used to my X handle and what happens during these types of games. So I'm just. It's almost like I'm waiting on it now.
0: He's just ridiculous, and uh, yes, he's leading the league with 36.1 points per game. Mm. Looks, like a, looks like a fake number when you see it on the screen.
1: Yeah, it's weird, too. I mean, you talk about his jump shot. It, it, it looks like when when we'd be playing on a, like a nerf goal. I mean, he <laughs> shoots a kind of, you know, side saddle a little bit, and there's really not any jumping going on. It's just basically a flick of the wrist with a little like nerf ball on on what we'd be playing on a nerf rim. That's what it looks like it does
0: you know what? you know what uh, he's averaging in the five games the seer's from injury
1: Am I going to get am i going to get even more sick than I already am tell this me it
0: includes a 70 point game but he's yeah. averaging uh, 44.2 points 10.4 <laughs> rebounds and five assists per game. The Sixers are uh, undefeated in those five games. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I would imagine that's the case. Uh, Tony East has got a brand-new podcast up, Locked on Pacers regarding last night and then some. You can check that out. He's with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. It's always a pleasure, man. I appreciate the breakdown. We'll do it again soon.
0: You got it. Thanks for having me.
1: Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. He is the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers who had a – pretty cush gig last night i would suggest at Mackey arena in west lafayette 9966 the number 2 boilermakers over michigan rob blackman joins us now so get a bit of a bronx cheer when matt painter decided not to get that thing over hundy huh
2: <laughs> yeah it was it was uh, it was a Bronx cheer. That's a good way to, uh, to put it. There, there was still time, obviously. Uh, time difference, I should say, between shot clock and game clock. So technically, yes, per- Purdue could have attempted one more shot to try to get to 100. But uh, oh, well, I think 99 against a conference opponent will do just fine. And you know, I'll tell you what. Not to completely change the subject here, but Purdue offensively has really been on a roll here lately. Uh, Ninety-one points a game in the last four games, and again, that's all against conference competition. So, uh, it's been fun to watch, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It, just, it felt like last night with with Edie. It, yeah, um, you know, it wasn't one of those games with Edie, and it, yeah. it, I mean, almost. You don't forget that dude, as big as he is, that he's out there, but everybody else is doing all that work in a blowout, and uh, it was unnecessary, his normal offensive output.
2: Yeah, you know, so we're talking about four games in a row there where you're averaging 91 points, and three of the four, of course, Zach was getting a third of those because he had the 30-10 games back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. And then, yeah, last night, just 16 points and 10 rebounds, which <laughs> that sounds it sounds so funny to say that, just 16 and 10 most years, 16 and 10 in the Big Ten would get your first team all conference. And when he gets 16 and 10, we feel like he's had an off night. I mean, that's yeah. how dominant this guy has been. But yeah, boy, what a, I mean, you look at the numbers for Zach, uh, he only scores 16, uh, yet the rest of your team has 99 as a ball club. And Lance Jones certainly was the story last night. 24 points for him. That's a season high. Uh, most he's ever scored in a Purdue uniform. And, and he had five threes in a game. And He's really been, you know, if you look at the three-point shooting, John, which has been excellent. It, I mean, Purdue's number one in the Big Ten in three-point percentage at, at just under 40%. The one the one guy that hasn't been, uh, I don't want to say up to par, but certainly not where the others have been, is Lance. He's been at about 34% from three, which on a lot of teams, that's pretty good, but with this Purdue team, if you're not 40% or better, you kind of are the outlier. Well, you know, now all of a sudden Lance is starting to find his stroke. He's I think I read where the last four games, he's like 41% from three. So now all of a sudden he's starting to come around three-point shooting. So, I mean, you surround Zach Eady with with really five guys uh, who are 40% or better from the three-point line, including Mason Gillis and Camden Heidi, who are both at 50% or better. I mean, holy mackerel, you're you're really on to something. And Fletcher Lawyer. He's, uh, I don't know what his numbers were last night. He was, I think, two for three
1: maybe. I think it was, uh, yeah, two of three from three. I was going to bring that up. Two of seven overall. And I had talked last week with you about him being a Gage. And, you know, that, that Gage certainly did not, act as if I described it to you last week because he didn't have you know you know a great game single digit score as you mentioned you know from three and then two of seven from the floor overall so I think it kind of shot down my theory that I planted to you last week
2: yeah and the the point I was going to get to there was his his and again I haven't added in the new numbers from last night but he was already at 53 percent in big 10 games from three uh, so that number's gone up a little bit. So, I mean, you're <laughs> that, that's been the biggest difference. I've, I've gotten this question, I think, a hundred times in the last two weeks. What's the biggest difference that last year's team to this year's team? The fact that Purdue now shoots the three ball uh, with efficiency. Last year, Purdue at 32% was one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, one of the worst teams in the country. And so it really became one-dimensional in so many of those games. Uh, Purdue was just going to have to hope that Zach Eady could literally outscore the rest of the, of the opposition now, that has not been the case this year. Zach Edey has been just as good, if not better, this year than he was last year. But now you add in the element that Purdue is actually making three-point shots, best three-point shooting team in the Big Ten. So uh, that that's the biggest difference to me, that the perimeter game, the perimeter shooting has just been so much better this year. Uh, it's just made Purdue that much more dangerous offensively. And and I did see after last night's game that Purdue moved back up to number one in the country uh, in adjusted offensive efficiency per Ken Palm. So – If you're going to shoot 40% from three and have a guy like Zach Eady in the low post dominating in games like he's been doing – uh, yeah, you probably should be the number one team in the country in, in adjusted offensive efficiency.
1: He's uh, Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You've been around this program, you know. obviously, you, know, you and the late great Cliz for a long time. Is this consistently the highest level of play from a Boilermaker team that you have seen in your time, either you know being a part of it or actually doing the play-by-play yourself?
2: Yeah, I would say for for an extended stretch, yes. yeah. Yeah, consistently uh, yeah, speaking, you sure? Yeah, you always have a few outliers where you're like, holy cow, were we good tonight. yeah. You know? uh, a matter of fact, uh, I remember Purdue playing in a game against Michigan uh, at Mackey Arena. It was probably P.J. Thompson's sophomore year, maybe, where uh, it was just back and forth, and Purdue played at a, at a level offensively that I thought I'd never see again. Now, all of a sudden, Purdue's kind of doing that every single night. <laughs> so that's that's the biggest difference. They're, they're just so much more efficient. The other thing, too, and, and consistently efficient, I should say, the other thing, John, is Purdue has really, really done a better job in the last four or five games of taking care of the basketball. Early in the season, if you had one real major uh, bugaboo about this team, one Achilles heel, it, that, it was that Purdue was being sloppy with the ball. That was a big difference maker in that loss at Northwestern for sure. But, man, you look at, you know, look, last night Purdue Purdue didn't have a turnover until the 11, I think 11.45 yeah. mark of the second half. That's crazy, bud. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. the entire first half you didn't turn the ball over one time. Um, so their numbers have gotten better in that statistical category as well. So, uh, yeah, if you, I mean, if you're going to shoot like that, if you're going to have a player like Edie in the low post and you're not going to turn the ball over, uh, it, it makes for some pretty fun games to be a part of. and, and uh, Yeah, that, they have been fun. There's no doubt about that.
1: Right, what hasn't been fun normally really for anybody is when they play a game at what is now Jersey Mike's Arena, also known as the Rack in Piscataway at yeah. Rutgers. I, it doesn't matter what Steve Peichel has. doesn't matter what you're talking about. It's just some kind of weirdness that seemingly always happens in that little gym, and that's where the Boilers embark upon on Sunday
2: so crazy to think the Purdue senior class, there's only one Big Ten building they've never won a game in, and it's it's there at Piscataway. Unbelievable to think. That's, that's the one place you've never won is at Rutgers. Uh, I, I would challenge anyone that when Rutgers first entered the league, if you would have told, you know, hey, when we get to 2024 – Purdue seniors, will, there'll be one building they've never won a game in, and it'll be at Rutgers, and they they'd have laughed you right off the planet. You never thought that. But that's how far they've come under Steve Peichel, and they're not having a great season this year. They're really struggling offensively to score the ball. They just, I mean, losing Cam Spencer to UConn was yep. such a huge blow to them uh, from an offensive standpoint. He They lost a couple guys in the transfer portal, but Cam Spencer is obviously the biggest loss for them. Uh, So they just don't have a whole lot of offense. But, man, defensively, they're still as good as they've ever been. Uh, And Steve Peichel, he coaches them up uh, to play, you know, really physical and tough and hard on the defensive end. So it's just so hard to score against. I would say, you know, Purdue is the second-best scoring team in the Big Ten just behind Iowa. Purdue's at about 86 points a game right now, roughly. Um, This will be Purdue's biggest challenge from a defensive standpoint trying to score against Rutgers. Um, then there's no one else on our schedule that makes you earn it on the offensive end the way that Rutgers does. Um, so you hope you're just good enough on that end because, again, just watching Rutgers from afar this year, I just don't know that they have enough offense to beat Purdue, but they're certainly good enough defensively. To, you know, if they, could, if they could muddy the game up and keep it close, then, then, yeah, they'll have a chance to win. There's no doubt.
1: So Rob Blackman on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You want to take a question from the listening audience right now, Rob?
2: Yeah, I, get <laughs> uh, I I well, I, I well, let's hear the question. I would first, I wouldn't I, I
1: wouldn't put you in a bad spot. You know that. I know
2: that. Okay, All right. Yeah, what's the Can
1: you ask? Well, I don't know. Maybe this is. Can you ask what is keeping Miles Colvin consistently off the floor? Defense, discipline, you know, youth. Just the fact that they're crazy talented. Andrew wants to know that.
2: I would start with the fact that there's just no place to play him right now. Uh, and he's obviously skilled. I mean, he comes in the game last night and has nine points. I think he played maybe 10 minutes. Uh, uh, no, yeah, no when, you know, I have, actually, I just grabbed the stat sheet. He scored nine points in seven minutes. That's hard to do, nine points in seven minutes for a guy that's just sitting on the bench waiting to come into the game. Uh, Matt Painter, actually, I'll just tell you what Coach Painter said, because luckily, uh, for your listener there, Coach Payne addressed this on the post-game interview with me last night on the radio network. He
1: he, he must have been watching Peacock. Sorry about <laughs> that.
2: <laughs> he must have been because Coach <laughs> Payne talked about this. He said, hey, and i and the exact, I'll give you the exact quote, at least I think this is exactly how he said it. He said, Miles Colvin is going to be a fabulous player for us before it's all said and done. I know he specifically said that, going to be a fabulous player before it's all said and done. The problem is there's just nowhere to play him right now. I mean, Camden Heidi Who's technically also a freshman is playing in front of him, but Cam's a redshirt freshman, right? Cam had all of last year to acclimate himself to college basketball from both the weight room and strength perspective and just learning the game as a redshirt player uh, from the practices and the workouts. So, you know, he has a full year on Miles, even though they're technically both freshmen. Miles has done nothing wrong. Uh, again, you just, as, as Coach Kramer likes to say, you know, when I take you out of a game, it's not because you've done something wrong necessarily. It's because I need to get the other guy back in the game because he just happens to be a little bit better player than you are right now. Uh, Zach Eadie is a great example of that. You know, when Caleb first comes out of the game, it's not because Caleb has done anything wrong. It's because you're trying to get the freaking best player in the country back <laughs> in the game. That's why you're putting Zach Eadie back in. You're not taking Caleb out. You're putting Zach back in. So that's what's happened to Miles. It's become just a numbers thing. You know, you only have 200 minutes for an entire game to spread out. And there just, aren't, there just aren't the minutes for him. But I would say this for him, man. He, for a guy that, you know, is a true freshman and he hasn't been getting the playing time and certainly thought he probably thought he was going to, man, he's kept a great attitude and he's always ready to go. And you saw that last night. You know, he got put in the game and he immediately, immediately provided offense for Purdue uh, with those three three-point shots. So, yeah, not, not a negative word to say about Miles Colvin. There's no one on that coaching staff that would say anything negative about him. Uh, like I said, he's going to be a fabulous player before it's all said and done. It's just right now there's so many other good players that are playing in front of him. There's just no place to play him.
1: He is a Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers, Boilermaker Radio Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Hotline. Purdue on the road at Rutgers coming up on Sunday afternoon. So I'm sure you went over this when Purdue hosted Illinois a couple of Fridays ago or whenever that was, but it's hard to fathom, right? We know Lance Jones and what he is adding to this team. We saw that again last night with his 24. But what he's adding all the way around that is so necessary for this Purdue team. But then you think about Marcus Domask, who is in Champaign doing for Illinois. They both come out of the backcourt of Southern Illinois. What the hell was going on in Carbondale last year?
2: Unbelievable. And now uh, on their team, they have, what, the second leading scorer in the country or third maybe? Yeah. Uh, currently on their team. Yes. Uh, so yeah, think of all those guys. All those guys. I,
1: I just think what happened. What, the, the Salukis had to be salty about some things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, 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 it is crazy because yes, Damascus has been really, really playing at a high level for Illinois, and of course Lance has been. Think about Lance. We talked about this on a radio broadcast. His all of his best games this year have come against Big Ten competition. Um, 17 against IU, 17 against Illinois, 17 against Iowa, you know, the 24 last night, the, the 15 against Maryland, he, uh, sometimes, and this has happened to Purdue, you know, we've gotten some grad transfers who, you know, early in the season before the big 10 season starts, they, uh, they, they, they look really, really good and, and they score a lot of points and you think, man, this guy's going to be just fine. And then the Big Ten season starts and they just kind of disappear. You never hear from them again. Lance has been exactly the opposite. He's actually played his best when we've been in league play, which is when you want them to play the best. So, yeah, you're, man, you're right. I don't know what, what what's going on in Southern Illinois, but dude, they, <laughs> they had all those guys on the same team right now. They'd really, man. dude, that Missouri Valley Conference would be wrapped up already.
1: Incredibly praise Speaking of which, I know that you're watching out of your side eye a little bit, that Indiana State Sycamore action going on over there, aren't you? You're paying
2: attention, well, right? I'm paying attention, but remember now, I'm an Evansville grad, so I – Oh, yeah, I I forgot about that. uh, That's why I pay attention to Missouri Valley. How about my triple aces? They actually have won 10 games this year. They have? Five years before they'd won, you know, since they'd won double-digit games. Uh, But, yes, you're uh, you're Sycamores. I do have my eye on them. As a matter of fact, I was – I got lucky. I I got early – got to that Purdue-Arizona game early in the day that Saturday to watch Indiana State play. Uh, against Ball State and uh, was thoroughly impressed with uh, with uh, Indiana State. So, oh yeah, I'm paying attention.
1: Hey, listen, it's okay with Evansville though, because you know how much love I have for the pocket city down there. You know that? Oh
2: yes, that sir, yes sir, the home of the Purple Aces, baby,
1: Southern Indiana, right there. The scream, <laughs> screaming Eagles. I thought. I always thought, should I be going to college here because nobody seems to go to class and there's a party like every day? Why am I not going there? Oh, why am I not doing you. that?
2: True story, man. The U of E folks, we would always go over to USI uh, to party and, quite frankly, to meet girls because there weren't any parties <laughs> or girls at Evansville. <laughs> so we always we always drove across town to go to USI every weekend. That's where we were spending all of our time.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, that's what Rose Holman used to do at Indiana State. Well, the nerds would come over there in their sweatpants and their slide rules when there were no chicks over there.
2: Yeah. Well, all now, the all nerds these, are now, now making like... Exactly.
1: Uh, make a half a million dollars now, and I'm, yeah.
2: As engineers. And right, I'm exactly.
1: calling them nerds, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, buddy. Give the fam my best. Uh, safe travels. I, I, I got to get... I got to reach out to Matt Painter and get him on sometime too. So give him a heads up when you see him again. That I don't know if I'm going to do it this week, maybe next week. But uh, we got to have an ample conversation as you normally do with Matt Painter at some point too. But uh, have some fun, get some work done in New Jersey coming up on Sunday.
2: I will tell him that when he sees your number pop up, <laughs> that he should take the call. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm sure that'll get you a side eye. Speaking of which, right there, yeah. All right, <laughs> guy calling again. All right, here, man. all right, buddy. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline joining us now. The morning wake-up call with Sweebo. That's Andy Sweeney on one side with his beard and his hat and his Miles Turner falling asleep, clearly from northern Kentucky knowing zero about basketball. On the other side is our good friend KB Kevin Bowen, who last week was known as a wet blanket, however... I may have to go ahead and call myself out because since that point in time, maybe there is a bit of a need for that moist blanket considering what's transpired with the Pacers. Kevin Bowen joins us. Are you uh, you solidified with your stance as being a moist blanket after last week considering what's happened since?
3: Well, before we get into wet and moist blankets, which I'm sure everybody wants to hear, um, I was listening at 4 o'clock when you brought, Tony East on and Neil Diamond 83. Did I hear you correctly? Today? Yes, he
2: did. Yes, and he is. And
3: crackle, crackle and Rosie. Was yeah. that the song of choice? By yes, you? it is. I
1: was thinking about your firstborn.
3: I, well, thank you for that. And uh, that is, ironically enough, one of my father in law's favorite songs. And he has sung that, you know, maybe not the entire song, but he's sung that to Rosie many times. It's awesome. So, uh,
1: yeah, that made me feel pretty good on this. Oh, it's awesome right there. I saw Neil Diamond about 10 years ago. I saw Neil Diamond. I actually went by myself. I couldn't believe when you said
3: '83.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, He was great, too. It was at Gambridge Fieldhouse. And I think what was most noted out of that was it was a great time and a great performance. But I think I was in a picture that the uh, FBI ended up seeing. So, that's a story I have to tell you (laughs) off the air sometime i think the fbi i think the fbi performed a shakedown and i think i was in a photo that they ended up seeing i'll have to ask somebody around here if that was true but no that all happened 10 years ago and i i am with the jmv takeover and really just growing up a tremendous fan tremendous of neil diamond so shout out to your father-in-law that's awesome
3: well, I appreciate that. I'd love to hear that offline. It sounds like a James Dolan, Madison Square Garden oh, story here of like fans that have turned against the Knicks. And now James Dolan is using <laughs> picture evidence to keep them out. of. <laughs>
1: hey, we, we, we. We're thumbing through pictures, right? Hold on. It's like the fugitive <laughs> when they like, doing the fingerprints. And, well, you know, they stopped right here to look at this one. <laughs> wait a minute yeah it wasn't in it's not good so it wasn't good but it's funny it was funny at the time it probably wasn't the best but uh it was it was funny as an end result so uh anyway we're worried i'm sorry about last about last night's game are you moist blankets are you justified in your moist blanket uh i I don't think no i i don't think i am I, i mean we're we're one
3: week into this and you know honestly it's probably something that's going to be a multi-year thing. I I will start here, and I'm not trying to be like, um, you know, whatever, pat you on the back or anything like that. But I I do think there's been a lot of really positive moments from Siakam. And, frankly, a couple guys hitting an open three last time in the fourth quarter off of his assists, off of his passes, um, you know, Pacers, I I would say, easily win that game. or Maybe not easily, but certainly – Uh, Could have won it there. Um, So, again, I don't think by any means it's been all bad by him. Um, You know, if you go back to Friday night, I mean, certainly, you know, you can't let Jeremy Grant do what he did and, and, you know, give up the amount of points in the paint. You know, Sunday, again, Durant having the night that he had. Um, But, you know, to me, Siakam, I, I think offensively you see a lot of, uh, really positive moments. And I mean, early on in the game last night, I mean, he was the guy. I mean, he was all of a sudden Denver had to really change what they were doing to put a lot of attention on him. And again, if you just don't have a five for 21 night, I think you walk away winners and, and it's probably a much different tune, but you know, certainly you aren't in the mood right now. No one is in the mood right now. the Pacers aren't in a position right now to even feel good about, you know, close losses results given how the Eastern conference looks. So Um, Yeah, I I don't think it's been by any means all bad with Siakam. I mean, obviously 0 3 is 0 3, but, you know, it's not like, you know, he's been a huge, huge reason or the reason why that'd be totally unfair to describe the situation like that. But damn, this team needs a win and they need it in a hurry.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be tough to get one considering the circumstances and the matchups. That's Kevin Bowen, the morning wake up call, weekday morning 7 until 10 a.m. right here on the fan. I will disagree on something. Like to me in Portland on Friday night, Um, It certainly was more about the off. I thought it was more about the, and I still think it's more about the offense and the clip in which normally they're going right now. And even though Halliburton played without him, it's obvious. But to me on Friday, all right, Grant goes for 37 and we know this power forwards have normally, notably toasted the Pacers. But what you couldn't have is the 30 from Brogdon. And he ran high ball screen all night like he did here, never gave up the ball, and finished not even above the rim but below the rim every single time. That's what stood out to me is, my God, you can't let this guy go off again on you. And that's what they did. And, you know, compound that with an offense that's just not scoring at a rate that it normally does. I think that's why you ended up with that loss at the Moda Center.
3: Yeah, it's pretty shocking to walk away from Friday night, and I I think I have this right. I want to say the Pacers hit 23s in that game, and I believe Portland only hit four. So you outscore a team by, what is that, 48 points from behind the arc? Exactly.
1: 20 of 47 for the Pacers on that night. Four of 12 for the Blazers.
3: I mean, you can't (laughs) outscore a team by 48 from behind the arc and you lose the game? Like, and Portland just feasted in the paint. And it wasn't, you know, to your point, it wasn't all Grant, Brogdon, season high there. And, I mean, when slow-motion Brogdon's living in the paint like that, uh, that can't happen at all. So, and that, honestly, I think, you know, that is a little bit of the difference in just having Halliburton versus the last couple of nights. I mean, you could look at Sunday even, and certainly last night. I mean, outside the third quarter, which obviously was an ugly quarter, that was one of the best defensive efforts of the season by far. And that lineup in the fourth quarter, it's probably their best defensive lineup when you look at Nembhard, uh, Neesmith, uh, Turner, Siakam, and then Shepard. Um, I thought there were some moments there they probably could have sub Buddy in for a little offense-defense. And I don't know, maybe it was just the... Like- the constant clanking from from miles. Well, and, Phoenix uh,
1: Phoenix Hangover, I think played that role, don't you? The Phoenix Hangover, where he got worked late because I, mean, I would agree with you on at least trying him, but I I felt maybe last night there was a bit of and, and who knows, you know, you got you know, obviously it's not Rick that's pulling the trigger at that point in time, but right, I, I just right. thought I thought maybe it was a, a late game defensive situation hangover with Buddy, maybe that was
2: it.
3: Yeah, that is a good point. And I don't know. I'm probably reading too much into it, but I feel like every time I see Buddy or Obi now playing minutes, I'm like, wait a minute, is there is there trade, you know, trade deadline, you know, implications around all of this? Like, oh wow, Jarris Walker gets in before Obi on Sunday in Phoenix, and then last night Walker doesn't even play, and Obi or uh, Buddy plays like 20 some minutes. So um, I did think. I mean, certainly Shepard deserved a lot of minutes, but I thought there was a moment there late just to go a little offense defense, just because you got absolutely nothing. Uh, at all, you know, from a perimeter standpoint, there. So, yeah, again, this team. I mean, this team just needs to win. And, and as crazy as it sounds, I feel like tomorrow might be the better of the two, just because Friday will be the back-to-back against Phoenix. And you know, obviously, there were two great games earlier in the year in Philly. Different games, you know, you you split both those meetings. But I mean, you just look at how the East is, and you look at the trade deadline, and you know, 15 days. This team just needs. Halliburton back. They need wins, and they're obviously gonna have to make some decisions on, you know, Buddy Hield and Obi Toppin, and, and I, maybe even Jalen Smith. Although Jalen is a guy that I, I'd probably try to retain if he could.
1: Yeah, hope his back's okay because it'd be nice to be able to have him tomorrow night. Kevin Bowen, in the morning wake up call, joins us. So the Pacers um, not scoring to 110, zero and eight past one ten one and 5, 10 and five when they score a buck twenty or more. And then it just gets better. 5-2, and two, 130 or more in the 140s, in the 150s, they're unbeaten. This is right now, and I'm sorry, the way they are, this is entirely on the offense. The defense, the defensive average is better right now, but it is the offensive average that has been evaporating.
3: Yeah, and I think there's an element of without Tyrese, you have to win a little bit uglier. I just think that's, that's to be expected and, and, and honestly um, – you know, I mean, you just can't have, what, 25 points and 12 assists and be out of the lineup and think that you're going to make up for that. But, again, last night, just the wide open. I mean, those chance. Some yes, clean, clean looks late. And it's a very, very different tune that you missed there. And, you know, in a way, and I am by no means am I, you know, bringing up Miles just to totally rip on your guy. But missing those threes there late, you know, that was such a – element of, you know, Siakam being very public about wanting to play with miles and that, you know, there's going to be moments where teams try to cheat over to me when I'm in the post and having a five man like miles, uh, the ability to stretch the floor. Uh, that's where, you know, it, it almost was drawn up perfectly in Siakam's eyes to last night, the fourth quarter. Um, and obviously you couldn't have any of those. And, and you know, Smith had a couple you know clean looks as well that, that you couldn't knock down. So, um, you know, there's part of me that's like, you know, is, are, are these types of games, these scoring games, and again, Halliburton it, uh, certainly makes a huge difference, but come playoff time, it, does it get a little bit uglier? I mean, does it get a little bit more of the race to 140, which is what the Pacers want, and, and arguably the Pacers probably need it, um, does that continue to happen in the playoffs? They've obviously scored at will against many teams this season and, and continue to be, you know, one of the best offenses in the league with, with Halliburton. You know, is that going to be there in a seven-game series? There's a huge unknown with that, but that's certainly a question that I have. But and here and now with them, um, it is you're going to have to win uglier. Last night was just way too ugly offensively, particularly from behind the arc. What? Um, And and you got to hit some open shots.
1: It's a race to 120 without question. I mean, it, it is going to be a race to 120, and we'll see what happens defensively. And I, I agree with you. Like when everybody and you. I don't know if you noticed last night, but as usual, my uh, my timeline lights up like uh, a pinball machine uh, in moments like that, and I've got all these nerds that are telling me it's about defense, and I'm saying, listen, if you want to blame 33 for something last night, it's those misses, because those were winning types of moments or staying in the game type of moments that without Tyrese Halliburton, you're fortunate to be there anyway, and you got to take advantage of it. Or if you don't, that's what happens. I mean, on the defensive end, after that that long and drawn-out, you know, ridiculous challenge and, you know, the whole foul that was overturned, it, it Denver went to the two-man game, and you're not going to really match up with the two men that they have and Murray and Jokic, and we saw that a, a number of times. But you have to take advantage on the offensive end. So if there was a way that you want to be hard-coil, for example, on Miles, it was having a big donut hole from distance and especially doing that late.
3: Yeah, honestly, final possession, John, as soon as Siakam put that ball back in, I I, I was, one, uh, screaming might not be the right word, but I was certainly saying, why aren't you fouling to extend the game? Um, I I know NBA teams don't love to do that. In the college game, that would have been an automatic, almost foul to extend it because obviously you can advance the ball with a timeout. But, you know, even if Jokic would have taken longer there and, you know, he would have shot it right around the shot clock expiring, I mean, you're looking at like three seconds right around that, you know, maybe to have a desperation type of heave. And, I mean, no matter what you call, it's going to be, some sort of maybe a one-dribble shot, and you don't have Halliburton. So, you know, any sort of here's our go-to guy, um, you know, whatever. If you have Steph or, I mean, hell, even if you had a Jokic, but, you know, if you have an elite, elite perimeter player, I I might understand it in that moment. But I did think that was something. And Lloyd Pierce pushed a lot of right buttons uh, in a chaotic moment to get the Pacers back into that game. But I honestly was thinking there, you have not stopped Murray and Jokic on anything here in the last three or four minutes. Um, why not let that Rockets environment and see if all of a sudden they miss one or two free throws, and then you get a look there at the end. I, I didn't love playing it out, and, and obviously when Jokic gets a you know one dribble step in three, looking like you at Center Grove, then you know that obviously is quite the cherry on man, top. That,
1: that's sweet though, man. That is I you know I know that you know that was ultimately the dagger, but man, what a what a sweet jumper. I mean, that's just I off mean, off <laughs> of one foot, not putting hardly anything into, I mean, really, it is like a, an old man game to where you want to conserve your energy and, you know, you just put that, you've done that so many times with repetition, you just put that thing up to the ceiling as high as it can with, with the arc and boom, there you go, drain, that's awesome. Love it.
3: It reminded me of, like, all all of my coaches growing up that, you know, are asking for one shot during practice, and, you know, all the kids are just jacking them up, and all of a sudden you pass it out to your coach, and he doesn't look like he shot a ball in a gym in about three months, and all of a sudden one dribble, step in, pass three, doesn't say anything, and says, all right, let's run practice. Like, I mean, that was how easy Jokic made that look. And, again, it was certainly a very embarrassing moment at the – end of the possession there to let that happen, but I, I would have liked to have seen a foul to extend the game
1: there. Yeah, it's just, man, it, it is almost like you, you get uh, two fouls and you come out. I mean, rarely, there are just some significant rules that the coaches live by in the NBA that they don't waver from, and it seems like that that's certainly what you're talking about right there with the potential foul and not fouling is one of those in that situation. You
3: think, um, you think Rick got got tossed to send a message to Siakam that I have your back.
1: I don't think there's any question about it. Absolutely. I mean, he was pissy. Don't get me wrong. He was pissy because of that nod call uh, against Miles. I mean, he was pissy about it, but I just thought he thought, you know what? What the hell? I might as well ride here. I'm going to go off. Because, I mean, really, there was no other reason. They had to lead at the time, right? In the third, and that was before everything went haywire in the third for him. And, you you know, Contavious Caldwell, nope, got hot in the third, too. So, yeah, I think that had everything to do with that.
3: Yeah, I thought that's exactly what it was. You're going to ask him that Tuesday? Siakam, I, I Honestly, I I've, I've thought about it, and I thought, well.
1: He's going to say going to that's it. history, and he probably – would he say that? Would he say, yeah, hey, you know, that was a long time ago?
3: I, I, I believe he would, yeah. I think, yeah, six days is a long time for us to kind of simmer on that one there. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to gauge how that conversation is going. Um, but, yeah, I thought – I mean, Siakam didn't even react really uh, on either end of the floor he didn't react when he got stripped and then on the other end you know after uh, i guess it was probably pope or reggie jackson whoever made the three it's not like he went over to the official and then you know rick just goes i mean that was zero to uh, zero to 60 and you know two seconds to get tossed there so yeah i thought that was i thought that was all defending your new star yeah
1: that's what Lanny's coach did the other night got tossed with two it was a much different set of circumstances against <laughs> wells team though that yeah, kind of cost him a game. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, mean, I don't think Rick's costing the game, but the one, they, the two that they got it costing well, the game. Siakam? Um, uh, no, I'm trying to think who she would be. She would have would been. She might have been. You might have been looking for her. She may have been Jerris Walker at the time. Oh, I'd be looking okay. for. Her. Well, yeah, you might be looking okay. for. Her. So yeah. Well, about Walker? yeah, yeah. And we're surrounded. Listen, in that situation, we're just surrounded by. I mean I shouldn't even say anything. Just I mean even I I never say anything at the the officiating was haywire, the coaching was haywire, the decision making was haywire. I mean it's just it's almost like where I'm from, it's it's like when the hillbillies take over a little bit, right? And everybody starts screaming at one another and you just go good lord almighty. This is like eighth grade girls basketball. Can we just have some sense here? So Sounds like I need to text Wells about this. <laughs> Well well his guy his guy was working it like he was Eric Spolstra. He was inserting offense and defense and stuff and I mean yeah. Oh, Brownsburg's not messing around now. <laughs>
3: Brownsburg's a bunch of there are a bunch of five star athletic programs
1: out there. I mean you guys got Eric Spolstra down there. He's taking Layla out for all defense and putting her back in for offense. I'm just saying, you know what? You can just leave her out there, she's good. All right. Just leave her out there. Just leave her out there. She's really good. But uh, who am I, right? I don't know anything. Um, hey, by uh, the way, your partner this morning, make sure you, you correct him tomorrow. But the, the whole fell asleep thing on Miles was stupid. He didn't fall asleep.
3: What? Uh, so was Shepard fi- helping there? I'm trying to think back. Of, oh right, yeah, she-
1: Shepard went more than halfway hard to cover. And that's when Miles went across the floor to yeah. Caldwell Pope. He got halfway there, and then Shepard goes back. So I, listen, the only part I don't know, Kev, I don't know if they were trying to double the ball out of Murray's hand or if that was a switch that Miles was switching and Neesmith didn't. But it looked like that they're trying to double the ball out of Murray's hand. But if you watch, Shepard goes, Shepard goes hard, and then halfway decides to go back. And Tony East agree with me on this too. And then you know you get Miles caught in no man's land. But he, he went to sleep. So make sure that Redbeard knows that.
3: (laughs) Noted. Well, I I, I don't know after you two teamed up on me last week. We uh, did, didn't we? I know. He read the text conversation on air, I believe, (laughs) with the exact phraseology that you had sent him was, let's rip his ass. (laughs) Um, Is that accurate?
1: It is. I I completely made it. I completely made it up. Yes, I did. (laughs) Because I wanted to have a little bit of fun, and, uh, yeah, I completely completely made it up. But I heard that this morning, and I went, man. I said, I know that they don't know basketball in northern Kentucky, but you got to know it better than that.
3: Taking a shot at Jeffersonville right now. I, I, I thought, honestly, again, trying to think back to the possession. 27 seconds, I feel like, is what was on the clock when it started. Obviously, the shot clock began. I'm of the thinking there of you just trap your heart out for the first 10 or 15 and if you don't get anything out of it, then then you have to foul, or you just foul right away. It just, I don't know. It just seems like Denver is they're just too good to, to well, play it out. And you're missing the guy that you would then go to on the other end of the floor to try and hit, you know, whatever you know, off balance, one point eight second shot. You would have attempted there. I know that they, largely the game was lost in the third quarter, and certainly missing the open looks yeah. there. But you know, when it boils down to a possession like that,
1: you obviously pay a lot of attention to it. You well, know, most teams, including the Pacers, defensively are going to get buried in a two-man with those two guys. Oh, for sure. I mean, re- yeah. and I, I think the best thing that would have happened is had you seen Jokic defer and then you know go to to Caldwell Pope. And that's that's where Miles clearly was was sprinting too, when he saw Shepard go to Jokic. You can watch it again. You can see it too if you want to. I, I don't know if I would, but uh, I, I don't think they were even hoping for that. But you could have maybe you know gotten that out of it, and and clearly it went haywire. Whatever it was, it was messed up. I mean, it was it was messed up, and there was miscommunication or something going on. But uh, it was it is not because somebody was falling asleep for damn sure. So.
3: No, and honestly, you know Shepard. Well, that's probably the longest stretch of his NBA career. I, I'd be willing to guess Shepard has not gotten a yeah. single fourth quarter minute all year with the game even close to being on the line. And Shepard has earned it. I mean, he, he, he he's fun to watch. I I know I don't know exactly where he fits into the puzzle moving forward, but he he's a piece, and I love his energy on both ends. And I remember we had Casey Alexander Belmont's coach on after the draft, and that was one of the things that he said of like. You know, when you get scores or you get good shooters at the mid-major level, oftentimes you can kind of expose them on the other end. Like, there's a reason that they're maybe at this level. He's like, that's not the case with Ben. I mean, he he brings it on that end of the floor. And um, again, I don't know exactly where <laughs> he is right now because, you know, Buddy only played 22 last night and, you know, he got Mather in. Obviously, Halliburton's going to be back at some point, but um, you know, Shepard definitely, I think, earned. look he got last night and delivered in a big way there
1: you know you can really see somebody's motor especially when they they feel comfortable and there's repetition and we see that for example with McConnell all the time I mean he feels comfortable going at breakneck and that's kind of way I felt about Shepard in that game last night. You could tell that there was a, a comfort zone in him going as hard and as fast as quickly as possible. And I would have to think that that's, that just takes a lot of time and a lot of repetition to feel that comfortable in a game environment, much less an in-game environment.
3: Yeah, and the thing that impressed me, too, is, again, I like he's been uh, – hell, I remember watching the summer league being like, God, this guy is like – is he trying to make the team? Doesn't he realize he's a first-round pick and he's probably good? Like he was full throttle then. And, you know, last night he hits – I think he hit the corner three a little bit earlier in the fourth. And then he, make, you know, he made the layup after the crazy – you know, he's diving on the floor multiple times to get the ball and he still makes the layup. Like oftentimes you see the dudes that just go full throttle – and, and and they can't corral themselves when you know touch is necessary when when you got to make the layup or you got to hit the three and and he did that so um, there there is something to work with there and I I, I do think he'll be a nice piece moving forward.
1: So Kevin Bowen morning wake up call with KB and Andy. It's weekday morning seven until uh, ten a.m. I didn't I don't know if I left enough time. But you you would all surprise maybe this is just kind of the mock draft syndrome. Uh, maybe it's because you're trying to justify in these mock drafts, you know, the Colts, for example, taking a, a wide receiver. I've seen a couple so far suggest that with Michael Pittman Jr. gone, the Colts are drafting. I'm thinking, hey, wait, wait, wait. They can draft one and still make sure you keep Michael Pittman Jr. What the hell's wrong with people?
3: Yeah, I, I don't. get I mean, you and I are singing from the exact same hymnal when it comes to this one. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with you. It's. Uh,
1: <laughs> I haven't I've been to church since 1979, Kev. So sorry.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Let's just say I, I haven't been as freak, frequent of a goer as I as I would like to. But uh, nonetheless, um, you cannot. And I've said this for months now, and it, it'll be the same thing. Honestly, it'll be the same thing throughout Anthony Richardson, especially his early years. You can't shortcut. At the skill positions. You can't skimp at the skill positions. You, like, you, you cannot sacrifice at that spot to go somewhere else and add there. So, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I'd be very surprised, very surprised if Michael Pittman Jr. was not back with the Colts in 2024. Again, I don't know exactly how it's going to look. If, you know, on February 20th, when the franchise tags can be put out, if they'll immediately tag them or if they'll wait till March 5th when the deadline is and then, you know, play the long-term deal game throughout the offseason. But, again, I would be surprised. And I think both parties, and I wouldn't say this about everybody on the roster, but I think both parties, Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard, really, really like him. And that's an important piece, of course, when you're trying to project that. So, yeah, I, I do think that the cap space that is available to them, north of $70 million, when you start to map out like their in-house guys, Pittman Jr., Kenny Moore, Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman, you know, even Gardner Minshew, Taequann Lewis. I mean, it can go in a hurry if you really want to bring back everybody. So that is the only reason why I'm like, okay, I'm a little curious like exactly how they're going to do all of that. But to me, Pittman's almost – I mean, it's, it's obvious to me that he will be back um, and I'd be very, very surprised. It's not like, John, you know – I'm trying to think. Mike Evans, T. Higgins. Am I missing? Is Calvin Ridley a free agent? And yes. There. It's a hope and a prayer that those three get to, you know, the open market. To me, Mike Evans would scream franchise tag if you're Tampa Bay. Like, just run it back with you know him and Baker, and don't commit anything crazy, crazy long term. And then you know maybe you do draft a young guy. And obviously, Cincinnati is going to get into some games where they're starting to pay guys more. Would they franchise tag T. Higgins? Same thing in Jacksonville. So. I just don't see quality, quality wideouts like those guys. And, you know, they're not, in Pittman's case, he's not some all-pro, but he's a quality, quality wideout, and he means more here than he would mean in a lot of places, and you can't take that for granted.
1: Well, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. has a green acres-like farm around here, right, with farm animals and duck blinds and ponds and cricks and everything. So, right? He's got a family Indiana. plot.
3: he Yes, he is a big outdoors guy. He loves it. Um Yeah. So <laughs> I guess he got that going for him. And, and again, you know, Pittman, I mean sure there is a business element to all of this and his you know, dad's played running back in the league for ten years. He certainly he's gonna be a voice that says, You get paid, but you know, again, the franchise tag and a long term deal, you can provide that for him and I think it'd be just a total disservice to Anthony Richardson to say you know, here's Alex Pierce, Josh Downs, and the newcomer into your wideout room. Uh, good luck. I, like, that, 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 to me, is just so short-sighted and would not be supporting him. You know, we have to, you know, help in that development. That was, that was kind of a phrase that Ballard said. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. That was a phrase he said a couple weeks ago. And I thought the use of that we was so critical. It's, you know, Anthony's got to do his part, certainly, but you've got to do your part. And too many times these quarterbacks fail Uh, because you don't support them enough early on. Look at Jackson, though. I mean, they helped get Lawrence out of that dark, dark hole he was in in year one with going out and making a move. Um, They climbed right back into it this year. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think the Christian Kirk injury had a ton to do with it, and they they went out and they overpaid for Christian Kirk. A lot of people said that. And with Evan Ingram and Zay Jones, they turned, you know, Lawrence into a. Oh my gosh, is he about to be a bust? To, you know, they have something. Obviously, they got to get back out of their situation now. But again, I think when Lawrence and Kirk were healthy, uh, their their numbers were pretty impressive.
1: Hey, Kev, do you think when Michael Pittman Jr. is out on his uh, plot of land, he's out there in a in a duck blind duck hunting? When he shoots, does he hear this right here? You recognize that? <laughs>
3: Why do I feel like that's like... One more, one more time,
1: James. One more time for KB here.
3: I feel like I'm opening up are you too, Nintendo and about right ready to play Are you
1: too end. young for Nintendo's Duck Hunt?
3: I, I, yeah, I feel like I am. My
1: God, how, how young mean, are I, you? What are you, like 15?
3: I certainly played a lot of Nintendo, but yeah, what? Duck Hunt. I mean... I would have been what? My first Nintendo, the neighbors, the guy who's the backdoor neighbor, their their sons went to college, and they gave me a Nintendo probably 96, 97. I guess so, man. Wow. What year was Duck Hunt?
1: Uh, What is that, James, 87, 88, something like that. God, when were you born?
3: 89. What?
1: Heck. Think one, of one more time. time.
3: Games that I had.
1: James, what did you have? Uh, Duck Hunt is 1984. Ooh, I'm sorry, even older. I had an Atari, so yes, that's my bad. Yeah, I, I mean, thought you would get that Dunk hunt sound effect. I can't even say it right.
3: Now, did you hear the cornhole debate that we had earlier today?
1: No, you but, but I do have again. a perfect pancreas. Remember that? But yes, I did not hear the cornhole I, debate. Yeah, well, I did hear I, that. Please then. let I, me I'm hear glad. that. It sounds that sounds very Northern Kentucky to have a cornhole debate. But go ahead. I was glad to hear
3: about your clean bill of health to lead off
2: the,
1: the – uh, I should say cleanish
3: ish bill of health. Um, all right, so you play Cornell and you go over 21. What happens?
1: Uh, do you go back, right? Is it kind of like Candyland where you slide down the slide and go back to wherever the hell you were before? See, I say you go back to 13. No, I'm sorry. That's sorry. Add- that's the game sorry where you slide back down yeah, and go sorry, back. Yeah. Yes, sorry
3: I say if you go over 21 you go back to 13. we had these national world renowned cornhole players commenting that no 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 uh, you score and you put the foot on the throat and you try to get as many points possible I, I've always played the rules of if you go over you go back to 13. some people counter and said you go back to 15 um, but I was I, I was a little taken aback by that
2: whoa
1: I didn't know so what are you guys you' getting nationally renowned cornhole participants were you guys broadcasting exclusively? I Down was, there to Northern sorry, Kentucky, did, are you? Did Turtle Man call in and tell you how he plays cornhole? We we reach Owensboro,
3: we reach <laughs> certainly Lexington. Where's the Buckeyes? Is that Richmond, Kentucky? We're in all of those markets, thanks to Webo, or thanks to Andy, I should say.
1: Hey, tell. I'm I'm letting him go right now, but make sure when you have Rick on Tuesday. Can you tell him d- to spread the wealth a little bit? Give me a little bit of breaking news because I'm really jealous. When you guys get breaking news on a Tuesday morning and I'm left here kind of holding my perfect pancreas, it's pissing me <laughs> off. All right.
3: <laughs> I will. I will I will make sure to slide that in there. Yeah, we were very, very, very fortunate for that, although not the news you wanted to hear, yesterday.
1: Awesome, man. Hey, you guys have a good one tomorrow morning, 7 until 10 a.m. It is KB and Andy, the morning wake-up call right here on The Fan. Thanks, buddy. Hey, tell your father-in-law hello. We'll have a Neil Diamond
2: listen party sometime soon. Will do, and congrats on the pancreas. All right, man. Thank you, buddy.